Hi, folks, and welcome. This is the Man Overseas Podcast. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Audible. I've been using Audible for years, and I love it. If you sign up using the banner at manoverseas.com, you'll receive a free book. Also, you get a free book every month with your membership. So if you're a reader or maybe you don't like to read and prefer to listen, Audible is great. Sometimes I buy both the physical book and the book on Audible, and it's like having somebody read to you. And sometimes it just helps to keep you focused. So if you've ever considered getting Audible, there's no time like the present. Click on the banner at manoverseas.com and check it out. If you're a new listener, I'll give you a little background. Manoverseas.com was a project that I started about a month and a year and a half ago. And I would write articles about self-development and financial independence and eventually started writing about relationships too. And the blog just became a learning tool for readers, often in narrative form. Helping others is really why I wanted to start the blog in the first place. And I get the added bonus of connecting with like-minded people who also have a strong desire to serve others. So that's been really cool. A few months ago, I began doing audio blogs and podcasts, and I'll be doing more of these in the coming months. They'll soon be available on many of the widely used platforms like Stitcher and iTunes. Through Man Overseas, I've connected with many interesting people who I want to introduce to my audience just because they have a message that I think educates and elevates people. They usually have a strong desire to serve others. My guest today has made educating and elevating people part of his life's work. And if you're a young man especially, I would not miss today's episode. His name is Nicholas Bailey. He and his wife, Amanda, started a company five years ago with the mission of helping men become their best selves. And his message is resonating because his company, The Billion Dollar Body, is growing rapidly. He's been featured on Forbes and is a sought-after speaker. I really like his unique approach to helping young men, so I hope you enjoy our discussion as much as I did. With that, let me introduce Nicholas. I appreciate you being here, Nicholas. How are you, man? Brad, I'm, I'm just so grateful to be here. And just first off, I want to thank everyone listening and thank you for even creating an environment like this. It's in these types of environments that we hear that one little thing that triggers us to switch our course forever. I had it happen to me negatively first that switched me on a bad route and then also positively. And those moments can happen all the time. So thank you for creating those moments here for everyone. Yeah, man, I'm excited to talk to you. Um, the reason that I really wanted to talk to you is because you've built a community for young men to better themselves. And I love your approach. You've built a successful company around a three-dimensional message. Um, what are those three dimensions? Yeah, so those three dimensions are the three-dimensional businessman and three-dimensional business. Everything's three-dimensional around here is really health, wealth, and Relationships. I realized after coaching over 600 men one-on-one, -on -one, having phone calls week after week after week in the weeds, figuring out what is their top priorities now, why are they not getting the results that they want out of life, and how do we actually put their focuses in check to create these priorities that now are the three-dimensional businessman? That's great. I, uh, I saw a Gary Keller quote recently that said that work is a rubber ball. I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, if you drop it, it'll bounce back. The other balls, family, relationship, good health, integrity, th those things are made of glass. And if you drop one of those, it will be irrevocably scuffed or nicked and perhaps shattered. And I love the quote. Gary Keller is the author of The Millionaire Real Estate Investor, and it's a book mm -hmm. that I recommend to pretty much all of my real estate consulting clients. But I want to dig into each of the three dimensions separately if we can. Uh, but before we do that, what made you want to start a company 
which has a great name, by the way. Um, what made you want to foster a community of ambitious young guys? What was the impetus for building the brand? So first off, I've just never really been good at doing anything that I don't want to do. It's never been my thing. I never went out there and got a job when I should have got a job. I got married with no type of income whatsoever. So I wasn't the best person at doing things that I hated. So I automatically had to go figure out what do I actually want to do. And that was one of the benefits that I had is I knew more of what I didn't want out of life than what I did want. But it also limited the amount of options that I had to choose from. So many people have so many options. I'm a big fan of why not eliminate all the things that you know, no matter what, without a shadow of a doubt, aren't going to be with your core values, your integrity, whatever it is that you have that you've put up as boundaries. So really everything started for me is the typical mess into your message. And I'm actually speaking in front of 4,500 people this weekend on just that mess into message because that's what I've been able to do. I grew up with a family that wasn't perfect. I had lots of opportunity to become a professional athlete and all these different things, but my parents split up when I was four. A lot of our men can resonate with that same message. I really feel that people buy from you or people connect with you because they either like you or they want to be like you. And most people only show the part that makes people want to be like them meaning they show the car and the success or the house or the, all the good things that are happening, but don't show the stories that make them just like you. And we really show everyone why I'm just like them, that my parents broke up when I was four. I wrote my first suicide letter when I was seven. I remember uh, having extreme anxiety where I couldn't even go to school in the third grade. I remember that I didn't feel safe at my family's house, that I wet the bed all the time growing up, all these different like really embarrassing things that people would normally not share. And that ultimately led me to my first moment that we talked about, Brad, that one of my moments that changed my life for the negative and, and went to the wrong way in one core moment. And I remember talking to my father and telling him I want to be the best motocross racer in the world and see how this aligns with the guys, how we attract them. I want to be the best motocross racer in the world. And I thought if I just told my dad that he would, I would finally get his approval, that he finally believe in me and I'd finally be the son that he always wanted. I remember telling him, dad, I want to be the best motocross racer in the world. Let's quit everything. We'll go on the road and we'll make this happen. He looked at me and he goes, Nicholas, you'll never be the best. And that was that last straw that broke the camel's back. That, I didn't talk to my father for three and a half years. I gained 60 pounds. I graduated high school with a 1.8 GPA. I went to summer school every single year just to be able to graduate. I had no clue what I wanted to do in life, and I was failing in every core area. I had no relationships, not even with family. I ended up having no wealth. I had no future uh, business. I had no future of having a great job or career. And on top of that, I left there 60 pounds overweight just completely depressed down and out. And so that's really how the story started was that I was a failure in the areas that we teach. And here's why, Brad, and I'm sure you 100% agree with this. Uh, the best people to learn from aren't the people that had success easy. Because maybe me and you, we didn't have success easy. It didn't come naturally. We didn't just throw a, a baseball 100 miles an hour. We weren't just LeBron James dunking at 13 years old. So, and so those people, we can't relate to that. They don't know the struggles we went through. But also, it's not great to learn from people that just fail. People that just keep failing in their relationship, keep failing in their health, keep failing in their wealth, and they tell you what to watch out for. Watch out for those scams out there. You know, be careful reading that guy's blog because you may not, never know. He might be just trying to take your money. All, this, all these people that just failed. The best people to learn from are the ones that had extreme resistance and still went out there and, and had breakthrough and now are successful because it's a person that can relate to you through the whole journey. So I failed. And I took my failures, my mess, and turned it into a message equipping these other men to not make the same mistakes that I did and get further faster. I like to say it like this, Brad. My ceiling is their floor. Mm. 
Yeah, and they stand on the shoulders of giants. <laughs> I like that. Yes, um, there's so much wisdom in the Bible. What you what you reminded me of is the wisdom in there because it's basically a ledger of do what these guys did or don't do what these guys did. It's like a you know, an example for all of us. But you and I have so much in common because, yeah, I mean, I struggled in high school. My parents split up when I was young. Um, I'm only now starting to be vulnerable and sharing my story. And you're right. It connects you to people. It makes you, you're more authentic when you can be vulnerable. So I love that. One question I have for you along those lines, since you're talking about the struggle throughout life. Is there an ideal age that people should start on this road to better health and wealth and better relationships? So I once was with Jim Quick and he works with some of the most famous actors in the world. He's a memory expert. He, he has quick learning, play on words with his name. And I yeah. asked him, Jim, what's the way that I can learn quicker? What's the way that I can learn faster, absorb more? And he goes, Nicholas, you know what? I talk so much about neuro networks, but it really comes down not to that at all. Humans learn best through their social networks, and that's why children learn so quickly. The, the best age is before they're even born. The second best age is right now. That's the, those are the only two answers. Because you're going to be influenced even before you're even born. You're going to be influenced by your surroundings after you're born. And then from there, it's going to be all us taking responsibility and going out there and changing today if we can't take control of the, future, or the past. Yeah. So do you think there's a time that's too young to maybe make investments of not only time, but money? Like where should, so if a kid listens to this, who's like, I have a, a good buddy of mine who everything that I write or everything that he likes of mine that I write, he sends to his nephew who I know is, a, I know he's a freshman in college. Is that a good time to make investments um, of time and money in something like the message that you're sharing? Where does that, like who, who is in your audience typically of 4,500 people? Are, are you talking to 18-year-olds, 25-year-olds? Where, where are the people on the, in the age range? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and because you talk so much about great investments and uh, an ROI, and I'm assuming controlled investments, you know, Warren Buffett says there's one investment that supersedes all the rest. And that's going to be the investment in yourself. Now with my guys, my guys range anywhere from 18-year-old who's going out there in sales, wanting to start his own company. But our core guys are right around that 27 to 35 years old that are really looking. They've gone through life. They've seen more of what they don't want. And they want to be equipped the right way. They've had time to see what life is like when you don't have your health. They have time to see what it's, not, what it's like when they don't have relationships. They have time to see what it's like to live a life without good friends and community. And normally with our guys, they have to experience either the positive side, they need to experience our community before they want to take action and hang out with us. Or they need to experience defeat. Because for a lot of guys, we're wired that we only make big transitional decisions after something really bad happens. Where we feel like our foundation shaken, that's typically where we make a new change or open up to something brand new. And so I would say that for generally listening to people like yourself, people should be investing as much time and money as they physically can because the best investment you can make is in yourself. And I'm sure you guide them way better than I even can on that. But the second thing for a community like ours, anyone who's out there that knows that if it's meant to be, it's up to them. That, that was the first step for me was taking 100% responsibility in my health, in my wealth, in my relationship, in my family was that if it's meant to be, it's up to me. I can't expect the lottery to hit. I can't expect the economy to do me well. I can't expect to get lucky. I have to expect that it's going to be hard. And if I know it's going to be hard and it's up to me, I better go out there and start taking action. What does that look like? 
Yeah, taking action is the most important thing. There's a lot of young guys out there that are lacking direction in life. And I wanted to expose them to a guy like you. Um, in fact, I think it's more common than not for young guys to not know what to do with their lives. Um, what do you, what's the, one of the first things you say to them? If a young guy approaches you and says, man, I don't know where to turn. I feel like I'm lost. I don't know what to do. Um, does it go up from here? When will my income get bigger? Like how, what's the first thing you say to them? Well, first off, just to go back on what you just said, the people that they're connecting with majority of the time, just like for me, they're good at one area of life and they're not good at the others. But the problem is that when you have a mentor, the people you surround yourself with, you actually start becoming like those people. So even if you're learning from a business leader as a young child, young kid, or a guy who's even young, meaning underneath 25, you're going to pick up the bad habits that they have as well. Even, even with one of my speaking coaches, he crosses his arms because he got in a bad car accident and it, his back hurts so bad that he has to cross his arms. I even picked up on crossing my arms sometimes on accident, even though I was learning other things about speaking. So that rolls me into the actual answer of your question. The number one thing that I do is I tell them who has a life that you want, mm. that you would switch places with, and what can you do to get around those people as much as possible? And I show them, not through my words, but what I've done with my life. And I've consistently done that ever since I was 18 years old. I've consistently made the most investment of time and energy to get around people that had a life that I wanted more of. Because first, in music, you don't learn and write your own pieces first. You learn other people's music when you're learning a new instrument before you can write your own. That comes with your goals. It comes with the territory. You're not going to be able to know exactly what you want out of life the majority of the times. But if you can get around other people that have a life that you want, that you feel connected to, you could start playing their music first. And then from that, start writing your own music, figuring out exactly what you want from life. But that's an, a non-negotiable. Being around good people, absolutely. A lot of people like to say it's 33%. Be around 33% of people that are like Brad, people that you can look up to, aspire to be like, and learn from. Then there's your peers, 33% there. People that are running further, faster, that are just as zealous as you are. And then you have people that you give to. And I, so many people think they can't be around people that are quote unquote worse than them. It's just that you're guarded and have boundaries that they're not giving and speaking into your life. You're choosing to give to them. And that might be some people's families a lot of time. People think they have to run away from their family. My family didn't support me uh, at first either in any of these three categories, but I still connected with them. I still gave to them. I just made sure I had my boundaries up. Yeah, that's a good primer. Um, let's get more targeted. So on these three dimensions, which you said are health, wealth, and relationships. Um, one thing I'm curious about, why focus on men exclusively? Well, this goes back again to some core things that we believe in, which is only teaching things that we've actually done or experienced. Mm. I really don't know what it's like to be a woman. I really don't know what the craving, like I can try to relate to it, but that was the first thing I thought of. The second thing is that I started off coaching on the phone, helping these people, solving real problems and giving my time. I felt a little awkward sitting there talking to other people's wives that were complaining about their husbands on the phone with me, that just felt a little bit weird at first. Okay. So I just decided, you know, I really want to focus on men. I believe that men are the leaders of a house by leader. I mean that when a king has authority in a kingdom, he takes on all the burden, but the queen actually has the same authority. So I'm not saying a difference in authority. I'm saying a difference in responsibility. And as a man in the house, I believe we take that responsibility. As we take responsibility, it gives the queen more power as well. 
And if I can change the man, I can change the house. I can change the city. I can change the state. I can change the world just by changing the man. Because women are already smart. They want to be healthy. They, they're already more spiritual by nature. They, of course, want to be wealthy and be secure because women love to feel safe, right? And men love to have a leadership position. And so women feel loved by feeling safe, by, by not feeling like they're taking on the burden. So those were the core reasons why I wanted to focus on men. And the big thing coming back again is that I can only speak from a man's perspective. Yeah. Okay. Switching to um, still with the theme of good health, but like, do you have a favorite type of workout? Because you've lost a ton of weight, right? Yeah. So I've lost 60 pounds. And again, I'm 5'7". So 60 pounds on this frame is maybe the equivalent of 100 pounds on a 200 pound uh, man. And so you know, that I like to always put that out there because 60 pounds doesn't sound that much, but man, I'll tell you what, I was chubby if you can see my pictures. And so, you know, one of the big things that I like to look at is prioritizing the most important parts of health that actually will get people breakthrough. It's the opposite of what most people talk about. Check this out. It's so simple. So there's five core functions to health. There's breath, there's hydration, there's sleep, there's nutrition, just food, and then there's exercise. Most people Think about exercise first because that's the part where they're putting like all their effort and energy. But here's one thing I want to address. The other four things people already do every single day, they just have to do them correctly. They just have to have the right plan. I didn't know this when I was 17, 18 years old. I was eating, I was sleeping, I was drinking. I was, I was doing all those things. I was breathing. I just wasn't doing them correctly. So I didn't simply have to do anything more to be healthy. All I had to do is change the things that I was doing, following a correct plan. So what I like to do is focus on things in that order. How can I make sure that during my day, I'm breathing correctly? I like to use box breathing. If people want to Google box breathing, it's just four seconds in, four seconds hold, four seconds out, four seconds hold, repeating over and over again like a box. And I do that while I'm at the stoplight. I put triggers in that when I'm on the show beforehand, I'm doing box breathing because if I could do it consciously, then my body will start doing it subconsciously without me thinking about it. The second is hydration. So many people are chronically dehydrated that makes them eat more, makes them do all these different things, lacking energy, their organs aren't working correctly. It's kind of like if you're a bodybuilder. If you don't eat any food and you lift weights, you're never going to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Why? Because you don't have enough materials to build with. And so if I don't have enough materials of hydration or water in my body, then I'm actually not going to be able to perform at the highest level either. So what's the first things that go? Well, your mental focus is going to go, your energy is going to go, because it's all going to go to regular functions of organs. So if you up the water intake, which I like to start with 30 ounces in the morning, I like to have around eight ounces every single hour that I'm awake. Mm -hmm. Then I'm keeping my body in a primed mode to be able to use water, not just for the necessities, but to actually thrive. And so I like to make sure that I go not just from the workout routine, though I have those. I want to make sure people focus on the easy things because you can do all those within the first hour of waking up, which means now that you're not discouraged that your number one goal is to eat healthy or go to the gym because those are the last two important things. If you miss the gym, then guess what? You're going to sabotage everything else. So start with those core focuses first and then to the actual workout. I think for the normal type person, the best plan for you is the plan that you can do. I'd have to know that where the person's at. I had no clue how to work out, Brad, at all. I got on the elliptical for five minutes, put on as many sweatshirts as I could, but I ate well, I started hydrating, and I lost 60 pounds without ever going to the gym. After 
I decided to keep going. So the best thing is right now, everyone knows something that they could do to be healthier. I would say the number one thing to do is to actually go out there and do that, implement it, get a result, and then move to the next thing. Most people don't apply the things that they know, and that creates unbelief that when they learn more things that it's not going to work for them. Start applying the things that you do know, and then start, as you start building momentum, start going out there and learning new things. I like that. Yeah, every discipline that you incorporate into your life affects the next. So if you start with the exercises that you talked about during the, in the morning, so hydrating, would you say 30 ounces first hour, and then eight hours? Before every, I eat any food. Okay, and then eight ounces every hour after that, is that your hydration? regimen? That is my hydration. Yep. And it's a little bit plus or minus, you know, if someone's 250 pounds and they're like six foot five, they might require a little bit more water than the person that's five foot two. Uh, But that's a great thing to just go. I don't have to think about that anymore. I just go and do it. Don't think about it. Don't overthink it. Just go do it. Yeah. Cause habits are so important. So I like that you do your hydration, you do your breathing exercise, and then you're more likely once you accomplish those small goals, you will build momentum to accomplish the third and the fourth. And if you exercise and you eat clean, you're more likely to sleep better. And then you just will get the compounding effects of that over time. And you're a living example, right? 60 pounds on a five, seven frame. That's some serious weight, dude. That's great. (laughs) Absolutely. And it was the easiest time to be lean. People always say, well, you were young. It was probably easy to lose it. I go, man, I gained it when I was young. You know, I was 18 years old, 60 pounds away. That was the easy time not to gain it. But I'm so glad again, Brad, so that I could relate. I've been through it. I know what it feels like to not want to wear a shirt, uh, take off a shirt at a pool. I know what it feels like to have anxiety around people because you're consistently judged. I know what it's like to wear a sweatshirt every single day, even in 110 degree heat, acting like you just feel more comfortable in it because you want to cover your body up. Those are not fun things. And those all affect your relationship. Of course, people are going to feel that in your relationships. They're going to feel See, I found that when you're self-conscious, you're just more conscious of yourself, which means you're not able to give yourself to others. So self-consciousness is really just focusing on yourself way too much. And I did that far too much. The more I focused on my getting my uh, workout routines down, eating healthy, getting healthier, I didn't think about myself as much. And I was able to think about others. I like that. So many of my readers are on the path to financial independence and to get there you really need to get good at extending the gap between your income and your expenses. So as your income goes up, and I believe your income doesn't far exceed your self-development and the kind of stuff that you're talking about, but as that goes up, you don't want your expenses to go up correspondingly. But this takes tremendous discipline and it takes emotional control. You've got to be less compulsive and you've got to take a long-term perspective. And the best place to focus on the expense side is your housing expense, your transportation costs, and your food. Now, you told me that extra, I'm sorry, food was one of the five things that you mentioned. So can you give me an idea of your eating habits or do you have any tips for those trying to eat healthy at a low cost? Absolutely. So one of the big things that kills your eating budget is when you eat out. No matter what, even if you ate extremely healthy, you're never going to spend as much money at the store as you're going to spend out on food, even unhealthy food. So the first thing is to eliminate eating out. And if it's a date night or something, I know my wife and I had a $25 a week eating out budget for a few years, three years. 
we had our core place we went to. We went there during happy hour. We got water and we ended up getting these two piece two pizzas that we got that we just absolutely loved. It was the one meal that we enjoyed together. So we had discipline when it came to that and we created non-negotiables and we were a team in it. The second thing is to eat healthy a lot of it comes down to making sure that you're avoiding the middle of the grocery stores, meeting all the processed foods, and staying more towards the outer edges. So I like to look at things kind of like I talked about with the people you connect with, 33%, 33%, 33%. So if you have fat, you have protein, you have carbs. So fats would be nuts and oils and butters and all those things. You have carbohydrates, which are going to be all of your fruits and vegetables and potatoes and rice. And then you have protein, which pretty much everyone knows that. Those are going to be like your meats and your eggs and all those types of things. Mm -hmm. So protein powder, maybe. Uh, protein powder was something that really helped me out because it was so such a low investment per serving. And it was so quick in the middle of the day that I never had an excuse to go out there and have to go buy food again. This is the core place where I see people fail, is that they try to go so strict that they never are prepared. And so they always go eat out. So when we'd go to the store, we'd make sure that we knew how much food are we going through every single week. And we'd consistently make sure that we ran out of the food at the fridge every single day. People would never burn $20, but I see them throw away $20 worth of groceries every single week, mm -hmm. which is the equivalent of just burning money. And as you know, from compounding, that's a lot of money that they're actually missing out on. So the first thing is to really map out what, how much are we going to eat? How many meals are we going to eat per day? Can we just sit down for an hour and get out a grocery list that we can then follow over and over again? The most healthy people in the world that I've seen, they're very routine. They eat similar foods every single day, plus or minus some of the little tiny things in the meal, maybe a vegetable's different. And so we'd really make sure that we went out there, we got some of our lean ground beef. We would go out there and get some nice, uh, good quality chicken. I really recommend Trader Joe's for a lot of this stuff. And we'd go out there and stick the simple things like bananas a 19 cent, a 29 cent banana. And then I would look at things like nuts. Those were a great thing to have around. And the, for the right quantity of nuts, you're really having a meal that's only about a dollar, $2, $3 per meal. So we actually got through using these different concepts of making sure that we're going through the fridge, that we know exactly what we're going to buy and that we're going to stay on the outside of the uh, aisles by eating a little bit of fat, a little bit of protein, a little bit of carbs in each meal, not overeating. What we started doing is we were able to live off of $75 a week for two people. Wow. That was our grocery budget. And that was eating sweet potatoes. That was eating chicken. That was eating ground beef. That was eating eggs right? That was eating vegetables. That was eating everything that you would ever need to be able to sustain. Now, of course, green juices, more vegetables, those are all great things. But when you're on a budget, you have to do what you have to do. And of course, going and being able to detox and why not have any stress every single day of the week is great as well. And stress isn't the best thing for the body. But if you're going through it, we have to figure out how do we live in an environment that's like that. And so the best way to do that is to have a plan and to go out there and, uh, and execute on it. Yeah, I like that. So habits and routines are the key to good health. And it doesn't have to be expensive is what you're saying. I like that. And have a discipline. If, if, you, if, you run out, if you're not running out of food and you're going back to the store, make yourself eat the food you don't like. Make a <laughs> meal out of it. it yeah. It's simple as that. It's, it's called discipline. And that's what it's going to take in life for anyone to succeed. And so if you don't like the meal, too bad. You eat it, and then next time you don't buy it. But you have to learn from those mistakes. The best way to learn is to go through it. Yeah, so true. 
Do you have any book recommendations that deal with uh, health and nutrition? So Enter the Zone by Barry Sears, he changed my whole life. He really showed people that you can eat different materials of food and have an athletic performance looking body and have massive energy. And I followed exactly what he said and still in my mind I do, but for four years, I followed to a T everything that he said for my own body. And it took me from someone who had lost weight that was skinny to someone that was shredded, dense muscle and high energy. And that, that's what I was missing was the structure uh, similar to the food I just told you, 33%, 33%, 33% of protein, fat, and carbs. He shows you how to do it simply. He'll show you a plate and say, copy this plate. Makes it very simple to do, and it's very affordable. Enter the Zone by Barry Sears. Is that right? Yes, sir. Awesome. Athletic performance looking body. That's what I want. Shredded. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you love it. Um, okay, so I want to switch gears to wealth building. Uh, before I do that, though, I, I want to say another reason I wanted to have you on is because I think it's so important for people to cultivate relationships with people of all ages, because especially with the rapid advancement of technology nowadays, I think older people can learn just as much from young guys as the reverse. And you demonstrated that to me from hello, because you started saying, hey, make sure that you make a backup audio, you know, for the recording and everything. So, so that's really cool. Um, one of the beautiful things about having a blog is it's enabled me to meet and connect with more younger folks. And um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm just as likely to chat with guys who are my dad's age as I am with those in their 20s. And I know that you are 27, right? 27, correct. Yeah. So when I turned 27, it was the year 2007. And it was a bad year for wealth building. <laughs> um, that's when the markets began to tank, as I'm sure you know. And my employer cut everyone's salary. We let go of about a third of our workforce. And I was a sales guy, so I had quotas to meet. So dealing with a boss every day who had high expectations of me, um, a lot of people didn't understand, my boss included, that we were in unprecedented times. So, you know, I don't remember how old my boss was at that time, but I got the sense that he had never lived through a downturn in the economy because he was MF and everybody on our team. Um, all he could say was like, try to get as much money as you can out of our customers because we're, we're dying here, we're starving. Um, but everybody was on a budget freeze. I mean, I heard the words budget freeze enough in 2008 and 2009 to last a lifetime. Um, and we had elected a president who, had, who placed a high value on the redistribution of wealth, which you know, usually doesn't correspond to an environment under which the economy would massively grow. So prospects weren't high, there wasn't a lot of optimism for growth. Um, but I mentioned all that to say that all of your businesses started after 2008. And I'm curious if you worry at all that you haven't lived through a major downturn in the economy. Is it something that you've considered? How do you think about that? Yeah, I wouldn't say that I worry about it because much of my success today, and maybe for people that think that they're successful because of themselves or their skills, talents, and abilities, I didn't really have skills, talents, or abilities or opportunity. So because of that, all of my success has come from the product of my environment, the people that I learn from, the people that I grow from. And though I don't have the ability to go back in time and live through a recession, I do have the ability to learn from people that have. Yeah. and to get as equipped as I can for it. Am I wondering what I'm going to feel like or, or what my transition is going to be like? Absolutely. 
that's something that I definitely put a lot of emphasis on, especially since people have thought the economy is going to crash for the last five years. <laughs> and true. so year after year after year, you're like, what am I going to do to capitalize? Do I have cash flow? Do I have like actual physical cash? You know, only 1.8% of all the wealth in the world is actually in cash form. Like all this different stuff is in my mind. Mm-hmm. Though I do put an emphasis on it, I'm consistently making sure that I, I know people that have been through it. So I'm not arrogant enough to think that one, my success is because of me today. And I'm also not arrogant enough to think that I'm going to know what's going to happen if I've never been through it. So it's taking my own medicine and knowing that, man, I got to learn from people like you to figure out what was it like? How do we avoid it? Because obviously that didn't get communicated as well to someone like yourself when 2008 came around. Yeah. Yeah. You're a wise man. I noticed many of the people who are, let's say 33 or younger, they're much more aggressive with their investments. And I think Sometimes it's good for people to experience the feeling of losing a third of your wealth or half of your wealth, um, because I'm afraid many young people won't, they've gotten so aggressive that they won't have any cash on the sidelines to take advantage of falling asset prices should a recession occur, um, which is likely to occur. Who, who knows when? It could be 22 years from now. But um, as it and pertains to you, wealth, the other side of it, though, real quick, the other wow. side of it is that my father and my uncle both had businesses in 2008, which I got to see, uh, you know, obviously plummet and drop. My uncle was had a, you know, probably $13 million business in clothing. And I got to watch that go bankrupt and him lose everything. And there's a place where people also get gun shy and they get so hurt, punched in the stomach that they're afraid to rebuild that they never actually go out there and try anything again. So both sides of it, I've been able to see that side of it with my dad get punched in the gut. We had a carpet cleaning and flood restoration company and my uncle, you know, that, that really put a lot of stress on the family. And still today, they're living with that fear mm-hmm. of the same thing happening, making the same mistake. And you just can't, you can't do either. There's a reason why Michael Jordan, the reason he was so good is because of the, the amount of shots that he took. Yeah. Not because of, the calculated shots for all this stuff. I do, obviously, they're learning from you, so they'll make good investments. But there's a time where the investment makes sense and they still have emotions in the investment. We both know that it all comes down, the path is in the math, not in the emotion. So when the path's in the math, follow the math. Hmm. You know, when I was a kid, I got WGN at home. We lived in Louisiana, but we got the Chicago channel for some reason. So I got to see a lot of Michael Jordan. And whenever he was playing, he was so charismatic and so talented, of course. But he was a leader. He embodied greatness. And to get to witness that regularly was really a special thing. And um, I didn't take notes. I wasn't a note taker back then. Um, It was something I associated with school. And I hadn't yet become a student of my own life. But I was just, he was like a magnet. I, my eyes stayed glued, it, glued to him. And I think the closest, the closest we could get to him now would be somebody like Tom Brady, you know, somebody who just exudes greatness. Um, so anyway, I wanted to share that. <laughs> He's, uh, I'm, I'm just a fan of greatness, and Michael Jordan was that. Um, where do you encourage young people to start, guys in their 20s? Like if somebody comes to you and says, Nicholas, man, I really want to start building wealth. I'm 25. I'm clueless. What do you recommend that they do? Yes. So, and this is just me. I know there's lots of answers that I could copy from other people Mm -hmm. that sound really great. My my first one is I always look at what what investments are you making in your own education and yourself, your environment and your education. Those are like the top two things that I want people to do, especially at a young age. 
Because again, investments can drop by 33% or cut by 66% or you can lose everything. But the only thing that's going to make you rich if I strip you naked and leave you in the middle of the desert is going to be what you know and who you know. Those are going to be the only things that are going to matter because you're going to have to go out there and build it again. So my number one focus is first on my education because no one can take that away from me. No matter what the economy does, no one can take away my education and no one can take away the people that I know. And even if they did, my education would still get me back to my connections. So that's number one that I would focus on. The second one is I would figure out exactly who I would tell them to go connect with someone who's already making investments that are calculated when it comes to real estate, when it comes to health insurance and life insurance policies. I would have them go look at safe investments and also in a place if they want to grow in less safe investments, let's say like the stock market or into cryptocurrency like we had talked about before, I would say invest what you're always willing to lose and that way that your investment is going to get you educated. At the end of the day, you're not going to get educated just by reading about something. You have to be involved with it. And one of the ways to get emotionally involved is to invest in things with money that you're willing to lose. So when I wanted to learn about cryptocurrency, I only invested money that I was willing to lose into that market so that I had money tied in so that I had the education to learn about it because I would have never learned about crypto. I would have never learned about real estate. I would have never learned about these things if I didn't invest. So one, never invest money that you're not willing to lose. Two, just because high risk or low risk doesn't mean that it's not risk. Like it's both risk, it's just high or low. And I would always be around people, connect to the people that are already doing it, already actively investing and one of my mentors that I was investing behind when it came to real estate or crypto was always investing 10 times more than I was. So when he was making decisions and he was looking at things, I always knew he had more to lose than I did. And so that made me feel really comfortable. I wasn't a lone wolf trying to figure it all out on my own. And obviously connect to people like yourself. Really figure out, like, just because everyone tells you you have to invest in things. I remember I was like freaking out because I was making all this money. And I was like, what am I going to do with all this money? Even if someone gave me $100 million, I wouldn't know what to do with it. And I was freaking out. My mentor looked at me and said, you know that you don't have to do anything with it. And this gave me a freedom to just not feel like I had to know and have it all together because it was keeping me from going out there and producing. So Brad, the way that we teach our guys is first focus on mastering production. If you can't learn how to make money, you're always going to be screwed. Like first master production because what happens in your health and your wealth is that if you don't know how to produce a result, then you're going to always feel uncomfortable to lose it because you don't know how to go out there and create it. The second step is keeping it. You talked about decreasing expenses. How do you keep the money that you're making? That's step number two. Step number three is growing. How do you go out there and grow the money that you have? Think of it the same way we talked about health. If you don't know how to get a fit body, even if I gave you one, it'd be the worst thing that ever happened to you. You notice that people, when they win the lottery, they end up hating their life more and going broke in two to four years. The reason why is because they don't know how to produce the result. They don't know how to keep the result and they definitely don't know how to grow the result. And so what it does is they watch their bank account dwindle backwards and it makes their life even worse because even though they were given a great result, they don't know how to do any of the stuff with it. So I go in that order. First, learn how to produce. Second, learn how to keep. Third, learn how to grow and master those three and no one will be able to mess with you. Yeah, become untouchable. (laughs) I like that. Um, I, I advocate for the fact that your biggest fear when you're in your 20s, which I think is your most important decade of your life, your biggest fear should be squandering your youthful energy. And when I was in my 20s, I viewed buying books and attending seminars and real estate school, I viewed that 
as that spending as little investments in in myself. And um, I, when you have a rising income, this is something else. If I had to give my 23 year old self advice for investing, it would be to take a little more risk when you have a rising income. So never, this is another thing I advocate, is never take more than 10% of your wealth and put it in a high risk investment. But if you, if you have access to something like um, a video game company or a console or something that you know that everybody is using, try to make, take a little risk with things you know. So when I was in my 20s, I worked for a company that sold um, software for a database platform. And the database platform was a Microsoft product. And so I could talk to people and understand how many people were using either Oracle or Microsoft for their database platform. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to start taking a percentage of my paycheck and putting it in Microsoft. And that investment has gone up 550%. Now it took time because the first, it took a while. And when you're in your twenties time, of course, seems to crawl, but you've got to have trust in the compounding process. And when you have access to information like video games or cryptocurrency knowledge, don't be afraid to take a little risk because your income is going to be rising. And uh, so I think that's really important. Um, by the I way, I what you said there. Go ahead. I, I just want to touch on the fact that I love that you touched on investing in things that you know, you know, getting educated. And so many people I know with companies, I've always looked at acquiring many different facets of companies. And the first place to start for me is also going to be what are the companies that I understand? What's the services that I get? And knowing about that company and knowing about that industry is the first thing that we check off. And if you look at Shark Tank, many of them do the same thing. If they're not connected, they're not educated, they probably won't invest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. I try not to stray outside my circle of competence, which is something that I'm also a big proponent of. Don't invest in what you don't know. But um, I was going to say, but before you, you said that piece is I've had plenty of losers. I'm not trying to boast about investments that I've made. I'm just saying, if you have access to information, don't be afraid to take a little risk with less than 10% of your net worth, let's say. Um, you touched yeah, on think about batting averages, right? You think most batters don't, they, they don't hit the ball the majority of the time. You just have to make sure that winning is bigger than losing. Yeah. And crypto is a place where, I think of crypto as like owning Bitcoin is like having a Cayman Islands bank account in the cloud. And it's almost a hedge against the election of someone like Ocasio-Cortez or Bernie Sanders, um, whereas if they turn the United States into a socialist paradise a la Venezuela, you're not going to want to have US dollars, right? I mean, how much would it benefit Venezuelans today to have Bitcoin instead of the Bolivar? You know, with there's a, I think there's a lot of upside with Bitcoin to where it could go up 100x. I think it's more likely to go to zero, and this is just my opinion. My opinion because I think we can adopt a digital currency where we can flash dollars on our phones eventually with a barcode. I think something like that is probably more likely. And if something like that happens, and we don't elect someone like Sanders or Ocasio Cortez, Bitcoin is likely to go to zero. So. Um, I don't get into cryptocurrencies, but since you touched on it, I just wanted to give my view. I get asked about it all the time. And um, do you own cryptocurrencies? Is that something that 
you know, I know a lot of millennial guys are all over that stuff. Is that something that you get involved with? Yeah, I, I like to get involved with things that I don't want to miss. I've had so many times where my, my pride and thinking that I know it all has, got, has had us miss opportunities. And, and I really do it to connect with some of my mentors and some of the other people that are in the industry. So I remember two years ago, I had an event and someone asked, what do you think the future of cryptocurrency was? And I said, how rude are you to even ask such a dumb question? Because that stuff is just so, it, it's like a joke. You know, and then all of a sudden, Bitcoin went to twenty thousand uh, dollars just a year later, and so it it was very interesting to to watch my ignorance in a subject really get the best of me. And so, luckily, I had caught Bitcoin at thirty five hundred, thirty eight hundred, forty five hundred, and had bought things. I had invested in uh, at least twenty different either coins or ICOs. Um, and just to get educated again with money that I was willing to lose, there was times that we lost a lot and won a lot, and I got a lot of education for very cheap. You know, so many people get uh, think of only things as like, what's the upside? I really figure out what am I looking to get out of this and what would be a win to me? A win to me would have been losing the money and getting very educated. So that's how I went into it. I controlled my expectations. And so I always knew I was going to come out with a win. And when I made money, I was happy. I still today hold Bitcoin, hold Ethereum, hold some Litecoin and am not as active as I once was because I'm focusing on the things that do produce for me. And I'm super big on making sure that I'm focusing my energy on the things that are growing the most. There's a book out there that I've never read, but I'm stealing this from a book. And it talks about the difference between growing a 2000 pound pumpkin compared to a regular size pumpkin. And if you want to get a pumpkin patch, you plant a bunch of seeds. And as they grow, you focus on the seeds that aren't growing as well. And you give them more water, more TLC. If you want to create a pumpkin that's 2,000 pounds, the world's largest pumpkin, you put all the seeds in the ground the same way, you water them the same way, and then the first one that sprouts, the first top growers, you focus all your energy on that and you actually dig out all the surrounding seeds. And you focus on the thing that is growing rather than the things that are struggling. And that allows you to create a 2,000 pound pumpkin rather than creating a bunch of small ones. I think that's sage advice too. I think uh, it's better to hold your winners and sell your losers. With Bitcoin, it's it's very risky. Um, you know, it's like gold. You're betting that someone is going to pay a higher price than you are paying today. And since it doesn't pay dividends and interest, I, I tend to not, I don't have investments in gold or, or Bitcoin. But there are places that you can invest that are not Bitcoin, uh, you know, you're not holding the coins directly. So like Vanguard has a, a, a the ticker symbol is GBTC. It's Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. It's very expensive. So the expense ratio is 2% versus like a Vanguard total stock market index, which is 0.04%. So that's, that's a huge disparity there. Um, so there are ways or you could invest in companies like overstock.com that are big on the blockchain or Intel. Those are some companies that you can invest in if you're trying to try to get on board indirectly, I would say. So good. That's a good discussion, a high level on cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. Do you have any book recommendations as it pertains to uh, wealth building? Yeah, that, that's a very good question. Um, I really, I don't. Like the normal book recommendations, I don't. For me, going back to your first recommendation was the Bible. I look at the Bible. I look at some of the richest people in the world. I look at the things that most business owners actually look at aren't talent and aren't uh, actual knowledge. They look at the person. They look at their integrity. Are they able to show up? Do they have commitment? And do they have a moral foundation? 
that I want to connect with and do business with. They always bet on the jockey and not the horse. The horse is the opportunity, the investment, the whatever. And the jockey is the person. And so I, I highly look at how principles and things were done inside the Bible. And that's been my number one place. Money's more talked about in the Bible than love. And that's something that most people don't know. And so that's where I go to because it's been so sound for so long. And the history repeats itself constantly. And so to learn from a place where history had continually repeated itself would have also helped people in 2008. Yep, that is so true. Um, I'll throw a couple out there. The Richest Man in Babylon is a book that I read when I first got out of college. If you're in your 20s, I highly recommend it. Um, hey, that's another, a Bible one too. <laughs> yeah. Um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad is really good. Helps you distinguish between an asset and a liability. That is a Robert Kiyosaki book. Um, I actually wrote a blog post about both of those. It was called Book Recommendations, if you want to check it out on manoverseas.com. And then I mentioned Gary Keller earlier. So he wrote a book called The Millionaire Real Estate Investor. If you're interested in investing in real estate, I would check him out. If you're looking for wisdom for investing, I would check out Charlie Munger's book, which is um, Poor Richard's Almanac. Gary Keller also wrote a book called The Millionaire Real Estate Agent, which is really good. I'll also say that most books with the title millionaire in it are very, very good. Um, Thomas Stanley wrote a book called The uh, Millionaire Next Door, which is great. Um, he also wrote one called The Millionaire Mind. So um, anyway, I have found that books with the word millionaire are really good. Let's I noticed the theme of real estate too, right? There's a yeah. big theme of real estate in all those different areas. I know that's probably because of you as well, but it's been a common common thing. People have to live somewhere in middle-class homes. There's always going to be someone in the middle class, whether upper middle, upper middle class falls to the middle class or lower class goes up to the middle class. Everyone needs to be middle class. So uh, I think what you're saying is awesome. And hey, just, just so people know, from my opinion, I think the best investment you can make outside of yourself is going to be your own business. Mm. Yeah, that's so true. Most people wouldn't say that because then you have all your eggs in one basket. Mm -hmm. I think that the majority of my investment is go definitely going back in my own business. Why? Because that's what's producing. Yeah. But of course, if, diversify. Yeah, diversify. But you're right. If, if there's anything that's going to grow as exponentially, there are a lot of wealthy people who get wealthy through their own business. Um, yeah, dude. Why would I be investing in Kodak? Why am I believing in them over me, man? And, you know, <laughs> I got to believe in myself, too. I'm investing in my own company. I'm buying stocks and bonds, baby. <laughs> I hear you. Good. So let's switch to uh, relationships. I, um, I know that that's one of your dimensions, right? And uh, you're married. 100%. You married at a very young age. Is that correct? Yeah, I married at 20. My wife was 18. Wow. Okay. So what are the benefits of marrying young? Uh, one of the benefits is that you never get to actually build a life separately. And so it's not weird coming together. We can we built everything from the ground up. Many people, they go out there and think they have to be successful and do all this stuff. And I kind of look at our relationship and many people that get married at the beginning, almost like the immigrant mentality when it comes to business. So many immigrants that come over say they're so grateful for the opportunity that they work really hard and they can't believe Americans are so lazy. And so when I look at my relationship as well, one of the benefits was that we got together before we were, had ever really done anything cool. So because of that, we had to go out there and work together. We had to go out there and provide for our family like together now. And there was no like, hey, one day you'll be able to come home and work for me and retire you and all this stuff. It's like, no, we're married. We need to figure out a way to live and we need to go make it happen. And so we started off working together and 
two is always going to be better than one. I always say the number one mastermind is between husband and wife and one plus one equals 11. It doesn't equal two. And mm -hmm. so many people miss out on that. And then again, the number one mastermind is between husband and wife because you guys are so close to each other. You know everything about each other. It could be the number one relationship that can hurt you, but it's also the number one relationship that can push you because they're so close. When they call out greatness, you actually believe it. Whereas everyone else, they're seeing a facade of who you are. They're seeing their perception of who you are and you're able to give off a perception. In the relationship, when you're with each other every single day, day after day, night after night, you're not able to get off that perception. They know you for who you are and they give you advice or maybe even destruction from that as well. Mm. Is marriage hard? Absolutely. Life's hard. Business is hard. Wealth's hard. Expect it. Mm. People have to marry hard. Hard should be exciting. I'll tell you what. A few years ago, I worked, I, I've had a mentor that's a Navy SEAL for the last eight years. We worked out together every single day, no matter rain or shine, 115 degree weather, it doesn't matter. We work out outside every day, never inside. Cold, we'd work outside. Hot, we'd work outside. What I realized through that is that I was able to change my mind from wanting to be always comfortable to actually liking and enjoying pain to the point today where every time I feel pain, I still laugh. Every time. I don't cry. I laugh because I've conditioned myself to enjoy pain. It still feels bad, but for some reason, it like I've trained myself to be happy. So is marriage hard? That Again, business is hard. 90% of what you do, you're not going to like. Yet the 10% is so good and amazing that you do it. You know, So I, I think that that's the big thing to always look at is that marriage is not, it's better and more amazing than the hard times. Yet to say that it isn't hard, steers people down the wrong road. My mentor once told me a time when his, him and his wife were fighting mm -hmm. and that they were, had argued about something. And I thought that arguments, when I had them, I was a failure because no one ever showed me the truth about the relationship. And when I heard that they were arguing about the same thing as us, I thought that I wasn't a loser. I wasn't doing anything wrong anymore. See, so many families try to hide their imperfections, but it actually just makes them more disconnected from people. Man, you have you and I have so much in common. So I actually uh, laugh when I'm in pain too, and and I smile when I face rejection. So I'm I'm a bit of a weirdo in that regard. In in the '80s, my favorite songs were "King of Pain," "Strange Love," and in the most recent decade, one of my favorite songs is "Sucker for Pain," which is a rap song. So they all talk about pain, and yeah. So I just think pain is the the best fuel for growth. So. Like and if you're a man listening to this, you might think of that, but realize that your wife isn't going to think the same way. They're not going to think that pain is fun. Uh, it's just not going to happen. So that's one thing to realize as well is you can't be like, suck it up, buttercup. Like, yeah. let's, let's go. You know, what, why are you feeling so down? And I know that we, were, we wanted to get into some of that, but, you know, just because that's how we lead, see, men take on the burden of the family. End of story. Just like if you own a company and something goes wrong, it's your fault. Like it's always your fault. No ifs, ands, or buts. Even if you're not even connected to it, it's your fault. And if the company goes down, it's your fault. End of story. Same with the relationship. For the man takes 100% responsibility. That's interesting. Yeah. So men tend to respond to challenge, and women respond to praise. There's no such word as woman up, right? But we're told all our lives to man up. So I. I'm interested in what you said about your wife. Um, so your wife is your business partner, correct? Yep. Okay. So yes, when she is struggling with 
something and she's in, she might be in a bad mood one day and you're trying to optimize for productivity that day or revenues or whatever it is. Um, how do you deal with that? How do you, you know, a lot of my friends tell me stories of adopting the mood of their wife or girlfriend. Do you have any tips for dealing with your spouse or girlfriend's mood? How do you, how do you handle that? Yeah, so it does have to do with everything you do up to that point. You know, if you just did what I did and you didn't first build a deep connection uh, of love mm -hmm. prior for the rest of the other like seven years that we've been married, it'd be really difficult to go through these situations. So connecting first off on the good times and making sure that you're investing in a relationship, uh, you know, sending your wife a text message, telling you how much you care about her, little tiny things that you can do where you set aside time with her, make sure you have a date night every single week, all these little tiny things to make sure that when things are good, you're making those investments. So that when something isn't going well, it's not just built up energy of all the things that has been going wrong and then finally it's being expressed. Because no matter what, you're not gonna win. No matter what your strategy is during that period of time, you wanna make sure that you're doing well in the other times when she's feeling good, that you're making those investments, that you're laying your foundation and that you guys have a like-minded vision together. The number one thing that I think in relationship, first off, is gonna be how do you get two people with two different visions to come together and create one vision that you can work towards. What this does is it allows you to have a reason why you work so hard or a reason why she has to work or not work or whatever. Like there's a reason why behind it. And that's something that's always missing in relationships is that if you're working every day and she's frustrated because you're trying to go out there profit produce, but she needs to be loved, she doesn't know why you're doing that because it's not contributing to a vision. And if it's not contributing to someone, no one's going to agree. You're keeping her in the dark. So what I would do is I would sit down. Don't try to pull out her vision. She doesn't need you to tell her to do it because she's just going to feel like you don't think she dreams. Like you don't want to ever make her feel that way. Now, that's still her fault for feeling that way, but there's a way to avoid it. And one of the ways to avoid that is to just sit there and listen. See, men love to solve problems, but women love to be heard. And so many times we try to solve problems. Just start asking about the day, asking about what she wants, asking about life, and she'll keep talking. And then you'll hear all about that. And how can you tie your vision and that vision together to create the ultimate vision that you guys have together? That's number one. The second thing is if I'm in a day like that and we have stuff that we're getting done in work and there's something that she's struggling with or feeling emotional about, first thing always would be like, how can we either offload this or get support or help? The second thing is take 100% responsibility for your emotions and let's get this work done because we've already built up the connection enough for me to be able to communicate that way during work time. So that's not common at all for people, but because we've already set that expectation, if we're, let's say I'm speaking at this event, my wife's showing up, but she's feeling down and someone hurt her feelings or something like that, I will tell her, this is the time to perform. This is the time to not be yourself, but your best self. It's time to show up and get work done. Mm -hmm. And then we'll talk about it afterwards. And that's because, again, I'm taking 100% responsibility. I'm the leader of this relationship. I'm the leader of this business. And that's how we roll with things. Now. Again, that's because we built the connection outside of that, because we have a like-minded vision. We know why we're doing it. Uh, we can always come back to the why, the vision of the purpose of why we're doing things. Um, but my first thing is always, can we offload? And one of the ways we do that every single day is we come together and we figure out where did you feel uncomfortable yesterday? And we figure out one of three things. Do we squash it? There's no reason to have that on our to-do list anymore or something as you do. Do we get support in it? Do you need more information or more clarity? Or do we offload it to someone? Give it to someone else as a task they can do. So if she gets frustrated at the dishes every single night, 
there's one of three options. We never do the dishes again, which could be an option if you can, if you can just like never eat off of a plate, which wouldn't happen. The second thing would be, do you need more information on how to do the dishes more efficiently? Which probably wouldn't go over that well. No. And then the, the third one would be you do the dishes or have someone else do the dishes, a kid do the dishes so that that's off her plate because that's making her feel uncomfortable. And so we're consistently looking at the things that are making us uncomfortable and seeing how we can communicate through them. Communication is going to be your number one asset. Yeah, I like that. Start with why vision is leadership, continuous affirmation, little reminders of the love that you have for her. Um, foreplay starts with a text message in the morning. <laughs> Um, ask about your woman's feelings and listen. Don't try to continuously solve problems. Um, yeah, and sex isn't the thing that's going to create c connection in a marriage. Like it's not the only thing, but it will surely give you disconnection if you're not. Like people aren't having sex like three to five times a week. Like there's your problem right there. Like that, go figure out why. Go talk and like, you know, get naked, start sending her some text messages. Sorry for the kids that are reading. But <laughs> no. that's just how it goes. Like, you know, again, it, it really is something that's not a negative thing whatsoever. I think it's not talked about enough. And, you know, where your focus goes, your energy flows. So if you're never focusing on your wife and she's never focusing on you, your energy is just not going to flow there, but it'll flow somewhere else. So I definitely make sure that connection's built. Yeah. No, you're right. People are hesitant to talk about sex. And I think that's a mistake. I think it's why you need good friends and good people that surround you. Um, one of the things that, since we're talking about sex. So men with high testosterone, typically high achieving men tend to have a lot of sexual energy. How do, mm -hmm. do you have a method of dealing with sexual energy, assuming your wife isn't with you 24 seven? Yeah, channeling and staying focused on, on what matters. Again, most of the yeah. things in life aren't gonna be desire focused. Mm. They're, they're just not. You're not gonna be able to do things based on your feelings every single day of the week because your feelings will lie to you feelings lie. Yep. So I, I stay true again to what's the purpose? Like what's the outcome if I, if I take these actions, if you're traveling away from your wife every single day, you gotta think there's people in the military that have high sex drives that are away from their family that still are pure with their family. And the way that they do that is by knowing the outcome of their actions. And so I always have been big on pacing. If I do this, what will happen? And I end up not wanting to ruin something that's so amazing. So I would stay focused on how can I keep that energy directed towards my significant other? How can we make sure that we spend time to be able to communicate and get those needs met? But yeah, that's, that's my advice when it comes to that. And to be honest, a lot of uh, hardworking men, when you take a leadership role, it actually boosts your testosterone. Yeah. And so this is why it's so amazing for men to lead. Yet most of the businessmen that I've tested, I've tested so many men's testosterone through blood tests. The majority of them actually aren't high. The testosterone high today is the low of 100 years ago. And that's consistently dropping, especially with cortisol levels and the food that we're eating, uh, the way that we're consistently stressed out. And so I, I haven't found it super true unless they're actually fit, healthy males. I've even found muscular dudes that are working all the time. They have low testosterone. It's pretty interesting. Mm. Yeah, I think there are a lot of causes of that. But it sounds to me like you're more in favor of traditional gender roles, which I am too. I, I see polarity diminish to a degree that I couldn't believe. I mean, I only married less than a year ago, but in the dating world, it was crazy how masculine women act. I, I could not, because I was, of course, trying to date women who were 
much younger than me. Um, but young guys act like chicks correspondingly. I think it's a terrible development in our society. And I think there's a lack of wisdom in it. And that's why we need strong leaders. Um, 100%. That's why we do what we do, man. We're creating yeah. so many women come to me and say, do you know a good moral foundation, great guy that's younger, that is ambitious, that is looking for a relationship? I can't find any good guys. <laughs> and all the guys are either so down and out about themselves, they're not stepping up to the leader, or they're out there because they're so, they're only thinking about today. They're out there trying to hook up with all these other girls mm. and they're passing their dream relationship over and over and over and over again. And they're complaining about how they can't find good girls. Why? Because they're not looking for men like you, dude. That's why. Mm. Like, they're not looking for that. They're looking for the guy that is gonna show up and be himself and be that man that they want, that they want to be connected to. Not a day goes by, man. Straight up, not a day goes by that women don't reach out to us and say, do you know someone? Mm. And we think and we go, man, like, you know, our community is amazing. Our guys are amazing. Yet, when I look outside of that, I'm like, man, I don't really know those guys because they're like that one day and different another. And so, yeah, again, start with the end in mind. It's a good book. Start with the end in mind. What do you want your life to be like? How can you make decisions today to create that life? Are the decisions that you're making today creating that life? Think about it with your finances. Think about it while you're eating out. Think about it with your body and the food that you're eating. Think about it with your, uh, with your actual relationships, the people you're connecting with. I'm starting with the end in mind always. Think about it with your sex drive. Start with the end in mind. Yeah. Who uh, wrote that book? I don't even know. Google uh, will know. Start with the end in mind. Um, do you have any other books on relationships that you recommend? Yes. So Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus is great. Mm -hmm. And then also uh, The Five Love Languages is amazing if you're not connecting. Uh, and then also one thing that I think is very important is Myers-Briggs and DISC tests. D-I-S-C is the DISC. Mm -hmm. And then Myers-Briggs, these are easy tests that people can take just by Googling the names. And the education on understanding each other, who, who you are, how you think, your love languages, how you feel loved, how you give love, these are all great foundations. And also with the men are from Mars, women are from Venus, to understand each other. And there's actually a nutrition book that they wrote as well. That's the nutrition book of men are from Mars, women are from Venus. And both of them are amazing because you learn more about dopamine. You learn more about testosterone and estrogen. You learn uh, about all these different things that make up why we are who we are, how we're different. And with that understanding creates a new responsibility. And it's just so amazing what happens when we understand why. And just one reason I say that is because I had a friend of mine that was on the bridge of a breakup. And the reason why was because every single morning, they he always wondered, why doesn't she take overtime? Why doesn't she work more? It just doesn't make any sense to me. I would work more because that's time and a half or double time. I'd make twice as much money and we need to make more money. What's the point of this? Why is she not like me? And he was consistently saying this. And then she was always like, why, why does he always want me to work overtime? I don't care about that stuff. I love doing what I do, but what's the point of doing it overtime? I do it as much as I want to. And so when they took the disc test, took the Myers-Briggs, took the breakdown, they saw exactly why they were that way. She wasn't driven by making money. She was driven by helping people. Technically, he could probably now get her to work overtime by positioning it as a way for her to be able to help more people. Mm. So it's pretty amazing. Those are good books. I haven't read, um, or I haven't done the Myers-Briggs disc test, but now that you've recommended it, I will give it a look. 
Um, oh, I'm also mind blown, big... man. You're going to be mind blown. Oh, good. Um, I'm also a big fan of Love and Respect by Emerson Egricks. And um, I was a big fan of the five love languages, too. In fact, my love language is touch. <laughs> what is yours? So my lowest is touch. My wife's highest is touch. Uh. And my, my highest is quality time. And then uh, acts of service. So her second one is quality time. So that's where we have a commonality. Mm-hmm. And then her last is touch, or my last is touch. Her first is touch. So I very much have to be conscious in my efforts because I don't need any, if I'm upset or anything like that, like nobody touch me. That's <laughs> the last thing. Like what's the point? It's not doing anything. And so when you are able to read the book, figure out more about each other, you can make a conscious effort. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. Okay. Um, quick questions, quick answers. Just, um, you know, quick questions I want to ask about um, life in general. So do you have a favorite weekend getaway? So my favorite weekend getaway is something where we do something. I, I don't care where it's at or whatever, just what we do. I'm a doer. I'm not a sitter. And so I want to be out there. I want to jet ski. I want to wakeboard. I want to race motocross. I want to go do whatever. I want to go do something. That's my favorite weekend getaway. There's your quality time right there. Yep. How long should a honeymoon be? As long as you can make it. <laughs> I like that. Do you have a favorite documentary? My favorite documentary? That's a really good question. My, my favorite documentaries are about people always, uh, not about like things or products or whatever, because I've been a, st- a student of people. So... I figure out my sport athlete, like Conor McGregor, Tiger Woods. I, I look at all these people and I want to figure out more about them. So whoever, whoever has a life that I want, I watch their documentary to get to know about them, not just what they did, but who they are. Mm, interesting. Uh, my favorite documentary is about people too. It's called the Up Series. It's a British documentary. So what they did starting in the 60s was followed people every seven years and just checked in on them. And it was, it's the coolest thing to see how all of the lives, all of their lives diverged and ended up in different places. So that's, I highly recommend that if you haven't seen it, it's called the Up Series. And for mine, Walt Disney's documentary, it's really good. And just because I really connect with them, I I really feel that we're very similar in the way that we lead. Mm -hmm. And so again, you always find yourself in, in a character and that's why we like it so much. So Walt Disney's is great. Cool. I'll check that one out. Uh, do you have a, twi- a favorite Twitter follow? Somebody that you follow on Twitter? So I don't even use Twitter. That just shows uh, how young I am right there. <laughs> so I, ha- I have Twitter. My favorite would probably be Donald Trump because that'd probably be the only thing I could think of. But I never get on Twitter. It just never happens. I, I, I dislike the algorithm of the entire, like wh- wh- how it works. Mm-hmm. I know that it's good and you can reach out to people and all this stuff. But man, Twitter was like, you know, I don't, it's like using email, man. Who uses email? (laughs) Yeah, I got on Twitter in May of 17 and I'm a huge fan. I probably use it more than any other app on my phone. And it's best for sports, to be honest, like for anything that's play by play. Mm -hmm. So whether it's this, why do you love it for? Thank you, Brad, for bringing this up. Twitter Mm -hmm. is best for things that are happening regularly, whether it's a fight night, whether it's an election, whether it's a forest fire, whether it's a tornado, Twitter is the best for that because it can bring such consistent updates about what's going on. That is something that I love it for. Yeah, it's a good source for 
news, new things happening. And I've, I found it valuable to connect with like-minded people because you're really putting your thoughts out there. And if somebody likes that, then you think, oh, well, he's like me. And then you connect with him. But you shouldn't only follow people that are like you. So you should follow Trump and you should follow Obama. So um, I'm a big fan of Twitter. How many Instagram followers do you have? I think we're at like 5,000 on my personal, 7,000 on BDB, and then a couple thousand with the other sub brands. So somewhere around like 12,000. Wow. And what advice would you give to someone who wants to increase their following? The, the number one thing is to focus on the people and not the number. And the number two thing is to be consistent. I, I, I remember we did our first $250,000 weekend out of a 400 person Facebook group, creating a 81 person live event that people wanted to be a part of what we did to generate $250,000 in revenue, not including ticket sales, which was another 30,000. And, and about 200,000 of that was profit. And it was all from a small amount and a number of people that we served really well. And so if you could serve people really well, you're going to be entrusted to, to serve more people. So look at the people and be consistent. I, I post every single day, no matter what. And inside of our Facebook group, the Billion Dollar Brotherhood, I have posts three times a day, every single day, things that are from me, not promotional, just purely things to help the guys. That's great. Man, there are a lot of people being flashy and showing off how much money they have or don't have, and uh, you know, on Instagram especially. And it can be hard to decipher whether people are the real deal or not. And you are the real deal, man. I, <laughs> I vetted you, I vet everybody pretty, pretty good. And um, you, know, you see a lot of people girls holding their juicy Vuitton bags and wearing shoes with the red bottoms. And then you'll have guys in rented cars with fancy timepieces. Um, but you are a sharp guy, man. And you, you walk what you talk. And I'm really impressed. I hope that everybody checks you out online and connects with you. Um, where can people find more out about you? So the best, again, is Instagram, instagram.com slash Nicholas Barely. It's so simple. I want to be more intimate with it. So send me a message if they're coming from there. I just want to be able to connect. Let me know what you loved about the show. Maybe I can add a little bit of contextual value for them just to be able to connect again. I could I could send them to a place where they give me their email and get a free thing. Uh, but ultimately, I don't even want it to be that much pressure. Just come say hi on Instagram. If they mention your name, I'd love to get more connected with them. Very cool. Yeah, tell them you heard him from the Man Overseas podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I don't take it lightly that you've chosen to spend your time with us. I know that you could be doing anything in the world. So thank you. It means a lot to me. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please let us know in the comments or send the link to your friends. Also, you can subscribe to the blog if you're not already. My Instagram and Twitter is at man underscore overseas. Thank you, Nicholas. And thank you folks for listening. <laughs>